through uh, New Ground. The church he leads in the east end of London is part of New Ground. So uh, we get to know Tom at, at various um, sessions. He's a great communicator, and I know God's really been speaking for him today. And uh, he's come with the whole family today. So we've got a bonus, not just Alfie, who's here with us on Impact, but the whole family today. So, Tom, please come up and uh, let's give him a great welcome. Good morning. Yeah, so one of the reasons I think I get invited to places uh, and encouraged to bring my family is because when I come, it's like, well, there's a row just turned up. There's a whole row right there. Um, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn to uh, the Gospel of John, um, and if you want to turn to John 11, Uh, and while you're turning to that, I want to tell you a story about a fella that was in a, he was in a pub one day, having a quiet drink after work, and, and in walked this group of fellas, one of whom he recognised as his milkman. And as the milkman and his friends were at the bar, they started kind of chatting and boasting, and this milkman was boasting about what a ladies' man he was. And now there was this one particular road on his round where he'd kissed every single woman down that road except one. And to the man's shock, he realised he was talking about his own road. So he put his pint down and ran home. And he stood before his wife and he said, Here, I've just seen our milkman in the pub who's boasting about the fact that he's kissed every single woman down this road except one. And she looked at him and she said, I bet it's that stuck-up car at number nine. (laughs) Sometimes people tell you things you don't want to hear. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to tell you a story uh, about some pretty nasty situations and pretty awkward things. They're not necessarily popular themes, uh, but hopefully God will speak through it. So if you have with you a Bible and you've got John 11 in front of you, let's start reading at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is coming to the world. Drop down to verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the blind man, uh, the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour, for he's been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you 
that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. We're going to talk a little bit about death uh, this morning. And uh, it's inevitable for all of us. Now, we, we live in a culture that has whole industries surrounding things that might happen. The whole insurance industry is based on things that possibly could happen. You could insure everything. You can insure your car, your house. You can, you can insure your teeth or your face or your fingers or your legs. You can, you can insure your pets for every and any eventuality. Yet few of us prepare for that which is most inevitable. You're going to die. We don't know when, we don't know how. You know, you can, you can eat healthy and exercise regularly, but you're still going to die. You're still, it's still inevitable. Per- personally, I would like to die like my friend, peacefully in his sleep, sat in a comfortable chair as his life just slipped away. To be fair, it really freaked the dentist out, but it was, <laughs> you know, given a choice, that, that would be great. Now, I want you to sort of kind of enter into the, the, the sort of the emotion of, of this situation where you've got uh, uh, Martha and Mary and the sort of emotional roller coaster that they'd been on. You see, Jesus was a genuine friend of this family. They, they'd had time together, they'd laughed together, they'd had meals, he'd stayed there. They knew him. They were proper mates with Jesus. And uh, they'd heard the stories about him as he travelled around and started his ministry. They'd heard about the, how, he, how he'd fed the thousands on the hillside, how he'd, how he'd turned water into wine. They knew some of the people involved in that. And then they heard the stories of the healings, of the miracles, of the fact that he, he opened blind men's eyes. They, they knew about the, the, the deaf hearing, and they, they knew the story where, where the paralyzed man was lowered through. And they knew Jesus enough to know that probably after that roof had been ripped up, that they'd be looking to him to get his tools out and fix it. They knew Jesus. They were mates with him. And then their brother, Lazarus, got sick. And, and to start with, he weren't making a fuss. He just thought it was a touch of man flu, which... To be fair, he's pretty serious. But, amen. Uh, but it got gradually worse and worse. And, and he didn't want to make a fuss to start with, but it soon became apparent that he was gravely ill. And eventually he was too sick to protest. So the sisters did the obvious thing. They, they sent for their friend, the miracle worker. They sent for Jesus. It was obvious. That was, that was a no-brainer. That's where they'd go. But this perplexing thing happened that the message came back. He's not coming. 
He's not coming. And, and they, they were gutted. They, they had nowhere else to turn. And Lazarus gets gradually worse and worse. And he rapidly deteriorates. And it becomes obvious that it's, it's just a matter of time. And they, they, they take turns to nurse him. And he's, he's weaker and weaker. Until eventually... His life just slips away. Now, the sisters would be completely numb and in shock. They're confused. One, one minute, they're sort of submerging themselves in the preparations and sorting the funeral and, and, and receiving well-meaning relatives. And, and the next minute, they're just they're caught up with the grief. And, and, and they stop mid-sentence and just can't help but weep and the aching pain of loss. So they have the funeral. They bury their brother and they try to get on with life. And then a few days later, they hear that Jesus has turned up. But he's four days too late. They, they, they go out to meet him and, and they take him to where Lazarus is buried and, 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 and they chat with him. And Jesus is a celebrity by now. And so there's a crowd gathered to gawk at this celebrity grieving at the grave of his friend. You see, Jesus comes to the tomb. And he tells him, move away the stone. And, and they say, in verse 39, it says, But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he's been in there four days. I love the King James Version here. He says, Lord, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> and in fact, I've entitled this message this morning, You Stinketh. You see, there was, there was something there that stunk. There was a major, major problem here in front of Jesus. Now, we all, we all have problems. Some of them are big. Some of them are little. Some of them are, are quite minor. Maybe you woke up this morning and you've, I don't know, you've got a spot on your nose or, the, or the, you know, the, the car's failed its MOT or you know, you're just worried about you know, how you look today. But then, then some of us have got genuine major issues in our life. And, and actually, sometimes fellas particularly will sit down and they'll start comparing troubles. Or they'll start showing each other war wounds. And, 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 and like, uh, you know, it gets quite kind of, you know, mine's worse than yours. I, I've got one and I, I've got quite a serious scar, but I'm unable to show you. I was uh, on holiday in Wales and I was surfing, right, on this wave. And for those of you uninitiated, a surfboard, uh, it's got these fins stuck on the back. It's got these three fins. They're like, like sharp, these blade things that cut through the water. Anyway, I, was, I fell off this wave and the board went down like that with the fins going up. And as the board went down, nose first, I came down like that and this ball whacked me in the bum on this board, and, and then I just got up, and, and it felt like a dead leg, but when I put my hand down there, I had blood on my fingers, 
And of course, now my, my brain's going back to all the David Attenborough things I've ever watched. And I know that great white sharks can smell one drop of blood about a mile away. And as I'm limping out of the water, I'm hearing the Jaws music in my, in my ears. Uh, and and, and, I, and as, I, as I struggled with my wounded limbs up the beach to my beloved wife, who looked at me as I, as, I, as I turned up in front of her and cocked her head against the sun and looked at me and goes, what you done? <laughs> I have this cut on my, on my backside that the fin had gone through my wetsuit, through my shorts and through my bum. I've got a scar on my bum like that. And, and it was decided that I had to go and get it stitched up. But I thought, there is no way on earth... I am going to point my little white bum to some Welsh nurse. So I minced around the rest of that holiday. Just, we've all got problems. Lazarus, it's fair to say, had a problem. He was dead. By any sort of standard, that is, that is an issue. He was in such a bad way... That other people thought he was beyond help. But are any problems too big for God? I'll ask it again. Are any problems too big for God? No. Nothing. Nothing is too big for God. And the trouble is you... I mean, death is a horrible thing. Right? You, you sort of... You see what the very best of men become in a few days. They, they, they stink. You know, and, and so much so that loving friends and family can no longer be in the same place. We had, um, uh, a, a few years ago, we had mice at home in, in the ass. And uh, we had mouse traps and stuff and it was killing them and stuff, but... It was just, there was too many. So we started putting poison down, which was great. Killed them, killed them. But what happens with poison, some of you will know, is that they eat this thing and then they crawl in the most difficult to reach corner of your house and curl up and die and they slowly rot. Oh, they stink. Of just something the size of your thumb can cause people to come through your house and think, that, what is, what is wrong? And I had, to, I had to literally rip the kitchen apart to find this little poxy thing, and now it kind of ruined the house. Death stinks. Stinks. And physical death stinks, but spiritual death stinks. We, we can be over-optimistic if we boast about how bad our physical problems is. We can be the other way with our spiritual lives. And we can get over-optimistic about our uh, performance before God, or how pleasing we are, or come up with all sorts of excuses why we are not as bad as we think. But the truth is, you're worse than you think. I'm worse than I think. You were dead in your sins, Colossians 2 says. Ephesians 2 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. 
We might be walking around with a pulse, but inside, before we meet with Jesus, and he breathes life into our dead souls, you're dead. We're not in need of a little adjustment or tweaking. If you're here for the first time, I don't know everyone here by any means. I don't know why you've come here. I don't know if you've been bullied into it by your significant other half or whether sort of you've come and you're genuinely seeking God or whether you come every week. I don't know. But if you don't know Jesus this morning, inside, you're dead. The Bible doesn't teach that men are sick and in need of a new way of life. The Bible teaches that you are dead in your sin. You may, maybe you're sat here and you, you can't relate to the testimonies and the stories that you've heard in this room. You can't relate to the, the passion that people have got as they're up here worshipping and sharing things. You may be sitting here and think, I've prayed and God hasn't answered. It's because you're dead. Your biggest problem this morning is sin. And if you're dead, you can't do nothing for yourself. It needs for someone else to intervene and sort out that which you are powerless to sort. The truth was, Lazarus was not the only dead one at the graveside. The crowds looking on, although physically they were walking around, some of them were just as dead as the corpse in the tomb. Once a God-given, image-bearing, physical bodies are removed, that mask of sin, that smell of corruption within, shows forth. And, and the trouble is we've seen, and this is, this is a, a lie that's told. The thing is we think that when we die, our sin is sorted. But the truth is, physical death does not, does not shake off sin. Death ends all hope of sin removal. There's, there's no more chances to get rid of sin when you die. Whether you, you die in a car or in jail or in hospital or at home, if you just don't die in your sin. Because your, your sin will follow you to the grave. Did you know that? Your, form will, your, your sin will, will follow you to the judgment seat of Christ and he'll stand there and be your accuser before God. The stench of smell, uh, the stench of sin will, will follow you before God. I, before I... Uh, uh, started working for the church in the East End. I was a roofer for many years. Did loads of jobs all over the place. And I, I had one job was in Houses of Parliament or a, a building connected with it. And it, there's tunnels underneath the, from one building to another. And there's a fantastic restaurant in the Houses of Parliament where you could get a really cheap breakfast. So we're working on this, on this roof and we would regularly go in to get a breakfast in the uh, Houses of Parliament. And there was one guy with us called Mark. Now, I don't really know how to describe it in polite company, but he, he loved to puff, you know. He, he loved to smoke cannabis, right? And he was 
always, he was up there, has his parliament, like off his nut, with usually a spliff hanging out of his mouth as we're fixing the roof. And Now the thing is, this is a few years ago, but it was still like really high security around like um, parliament and all them buildings and stuff like that. So you had these explosive sniffer dogs, right, going round, like sniffing out sort of bombs and potential terrorists and stuff like that. So we managed to convince Mark that they were drug sniffer dogs. Consequently, we would go for breakfast and stuff like that, and, uh, and, and you'd see a black Labrador, and then you'd look back and you'd see these legs tearing off in, in the distance. Air smell follows us. The stench of sin follows us. But the good news is this. That no one is too far gone for Jesus. Now, no one in this room is too far gone for Jesus. You may not believe it yourself. No one is too far gone. How many people live in Hastings? What's the population of Hastings, roughly? 90,000 people. Of 90,000 people in Hastings, how many of them are too far gone? None of them. None of them, no matter what's going on in your life, when you walk from this place, when you go back to your house, when you walk down the seafront and you eyeball every single soul that you meet, there's not one person that is beyond the reach of God. Not one. Verse 37 says this, But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? We think we know what God can and can't do. We, we limit. We think, they should, surely they can't get people like that. What if, what if they're addicted to drugs? What if they, you know, have got all sorts of social needs? What if they're mentally not all there? What if they're so intellectual that they tie us up in knots with their clever arguments? Jesus, you're too late. If you'd have been here four days ago, maybe. Not one soul is beyond the reach of our saviour. Not one. You see, to be fair, death is not normally a temporary state. I, you know, you've got some sympathy with these guys trying to do the mental gymnastics. But Jesus does things different to what we expect. He's, and it's not just the what he does. It's not just the things he does. It's who he is. It's who Jesus is. He's, he stands before Martha and Mary and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I, I am the resurrection and the life. And it wasn't just, so, you know, like, like Martha's trying to, yeah, she's scratching her head and she goes, yeah, I, I understand that my brother will rise again on that day. And, and he's going, no, no. This is not just sort of some theological understanding for some time in the future. I am, I always have been, I always will be the resurrection and the life. He's not just saying, I, I can heal, or I can even, I, I can restore Lazarus. He's not even saying, I can raise him up. What we said is this. I can beat death. 
There is nothing in my path that at my word cannot be changed. I am. I am. Always have been. Always will be. This great I am stands before the mouth of the open grave and calls out Lazarus by name. Because he had to call him by name. At the voice of Jesus, every bone in that reeking tomb would have rattled to attention in case they called him. Jesus is far, far greater than we could ever know. The good news of the gospel, we were far worse, but he is far greater. You look at the the next chapter in this story, and we see in John 12, verse 1, says this, that Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Wonderful. A different smell. A beautiful Beautiful smell. Filled the house. Lazarus was no longer the one that smelt of death. He was surrounded by this gorgeous perfume. Now, notice the order here. Did Mary's perfume cause the miracle? Was it like uh, she thought, if I give Jesus some perfume, he may do a miracle for me. No, it was a natural response to what Jesus had already done. Her beautiful offering came because of what Jesus had already accomplished and finished and settled. Good works are a natural response to what he's done, not a means of his acceptance. We serve a generous God that don't treat us as we deserve. We serve a God who's done it all. There's a big difference between coming and saying, what must I do? And looking and seeing what he's already done. Religion says, what have I got to do? Have I got to pray? Have I got to start coming to church now? Yeah, Have I got to give that up? Is this what I've got to do? A relationship with God stands back and goes, he's done it. He's finished. I can't bring any more to the table except humility and my sin. He has done it. The do and the done. It's done. Sorted. Finished. All over. Completed. When Jesus was stood before the tomb, he says that he wept. And, and I'm sure there was empathy in that. There was, you know, seeing people that he loved, upset, would have, would have drawn that out of him. But it was far more than that. You, you sort of read the passage and you see that his emotions, it was more than just sort of a, a, a weeping tear. There was, there was an anger about it. 
Because as Jesus looked at that tomb, he realizes that Lazarus' life would mean Jesus' death. It would mean that for Lazarus to come out of the tomb, it would mean that in a few weeks' time, it would mean that Jesus would have to go to the tomb. And for us this morning, it's not, it's not just tears that Jesus shed for us, but it's his own precious life blood that he poured out for you and for me. It, it wasn't just a, a, like a religious statement and, and, and all theologies and stuff. He literally went and physically died. He was spiritually separated from God. Ripped from the Father's side so that we could come close and never ever be forsaken by God again. The gospel's not just making bad people nice. It ain't. It's making dead people alive. It's Jesus breathing life into dead souls, and he does that today. He does it now. If you're here for the first time, tap the guy on the shoulder next to you and say, is this true? Is this your experience? Was you honestly dead? Because you look like you've been here forever. You look like you've been doing this since day one. Watch your story and you will see that dead souls across this room have had the life of Jesus breathed into them. 2 Corinthians 2 says this, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one we are an aroma that brings death and another an aroma that brings life. You see, our good works, our prayers, our sacrifices, our putting money in the pot, our kind of serving on a Sunday, our opening our mouths in front of our workmates and telling our neighbours and breaking cover and talking about Jesus, when we do it as a religious thing, this is a duty I have to do, it stinks. stinks. Religion, dead, makes people feel bad. They don't want to be around you because you're horrible. They don't like that. It's no good. But when we do those things for Jesus, like pouring oil on his feet, It's a beautiful, beautiful aroma that is irresistible to God and draws men and women to him. I want to try and conclude. I want to try and wrap up a little bit. It may be that you are here and you just don't know this, but you want to. It's like Jesus is standing at the doorway of your grave and calling you by name. You're feeling something flutter in your heart this morning? The Saviour's standing and whispering your name. He loves you. Really loves you. Cares for you. Verse 44 of John 11 says that the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. What isn't recorded here is that Jesus had to say that about three times. 
because people are looking and going, did, is, did you see that? You, really? Did you, that, he was dead. Four days, dead. Listen, there's some of the people there would have been the ones to wrap him up and put him in the tomb. Now they're called upon to come and unwrap him. Do you know what? You've got Alpha coming up next week, haven't you? There's a chance to unwrap grave clothes of men and women. Friends of yours that you've invited to this thing. You may have been involved in their corruption. You may have had these kind of ideas of, of God that you told them over the years. Do you know what? There's an opportunity to unwrap those grave clothes and to breathe life and speak truth. See, grave clothes are inappropriate clothes for people that are alive. You don't need them any longer. They stink of the grave. They stink of the old days. I'd like us to, to finish by praying. I'd like to invite you in a moment to stand. And I want us to pray for the people of Hastings. And, and I want us to pray for the 90,000 people that we represent here. And of all of them, how many do you think Jesus loves? How many do you think he died for? How many did he go to the tomb for? How many did he go to the cross for? And then rise, going toe-to-toe with death, beating him, standing before the Father. And how many of them do you think he pleads for before the Father now? It's all of them. It's all of them. Honestly, you will go from here and there's not one person that Jesus doesn't love, doesn't care for, doesn't want to know this. When we're asking God to save souls, we're leaning on an open door. We ain't got to twist God's arm. Do you know something else? It says that it's to the Father's glory that we bear much fruit. Do you want to bear fruit today? I'd like us to stand. I'd like us to pray specifically. And and I'd like you to pray specifically for those people that you before have thought, they're too far gone. They're too clever. They'll tie me in knots intellectually. Or it may be those you think they're just too wracked with sin, they're too stubborn, they're too entrenched in their sin. And I'd like you to let's all raise our voices together. Let's ask Jesus to save, to breathe life into dead souls. Let's do that together now. Jesus, we want to we repent of the limits that we've put on you. And those people, and, and, and some of us, we're, we're kind of doing the, the mental gymnastics and thinking three steps down the line, thinking, what if he does say yes? What's that going to mean for me? The, 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 the sacrifice that I'll now have to, I'll probably have to bring him. I'll probably have to get involved in his life. Or Jesus, I pray, help us just to take the next step. Lord, and, and you are the wonderful counsellor. 
Lord, we pray, Father, for you hear the names that have been put up before you today. Lord, these names have been presented before the throne of grace and we ask you for mercy. Mercy, oh God. We pray for miracles as a direct result of our praying today. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come in power and save. I thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I thank you that you're still the resurrection and the life. I thank you you still breathe life into dead bones and dead souls. Jesus, do that in mighty ways, we pray, across Hastings, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.